Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Before we get started, please help us grow our social media presence so we can help even more people diagnosed with breast cancer. Hop on over to our Facebook page, Instagram page, and YouTube channel where you can like, follow, and subscribe. And it only takes about five seconds and would mean the absolute world to me. So thank you so much. And I will link to everything in the show notes below to make it super easy for you. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. Hello, hello, my friends. Happy Monday. I am so excited as I am every single week when we come out with a new podcast episode. In today's episode, we have five panelists on the call today. I am so excited to be speaking with Jomi, Heidi, Rhea, Jill, and Cecilia. The reason why we have five panelists today is because we really wanted to paint the picture of how diverse breast cancer is and not just provide one perspective, but a multitude of perspectives on moving from survivorship to thrivership. In this episode, we talk about so many topics ranging from the role exercise has played. We also talk about lymphedema, neuropathy, and the cording that happens under your arms after a surgery. One of our panelists speaks about her recurrence, even after taking tamoxifen. And I think this is a reality that some of us go through as well, where we are on various medications, various treatment plans, and still there is progression. It is a hard reality, but one we must confront. I am so flattered to have these five amazing women on our podcast today. So without further ado, let's just jump right in. Welcome to the conversation. On the panel today, we have women who are married with children, we have women who are married without children, and we also have women who are not married without any children. So again, when I was going through breast cancer, I was trying to find somebody to relate to, who looked like me, who sounded like me, who was going through something I was going through. How could we relate? And so what's so beautiful about today's conversation is that through any of our stories, well, we know that her story is not our story. We can definitely empathize and feel like we've been there together. So I would like to welcome to the panel, Rhea, Jill, Jomi, Heidi, and Cecilia. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on our live stream today and share a little bit about your breast cancer diagnosis. Thank you for having us. Rhea, I would love to start off with you. If you want to give a little bit of an introduction to how we got to where we are today with this amazing panel. Well, as far as um, the girls that I recommended for the panel, I wanted um, to kind of give you the the audience a glimpse of what glowing up after cancer is. With glowing up after cancer, it's not just breast cancer. It's all cancers. Mm-hmm. And I believe that all cancers are important. Sharing awareness, telling stories. You can, I feel that you can... Um, even touch one person with your story. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so as far as like with the girls, like on this panel, I just feel like they have something to share. Exercise plays such a huge role in all of your lives. How has that impacted you? Kind of maybe give us a little background on the role exercise played before your diagnosis and then where you are today and how it continues to be a part of your thrivership. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was very unhealthy before cancer. Um, didn't really, you know, I tried to run and I tried, you know, I got a gym membership for a while, but it never like really stuck. 
Um, and then my diagnosis came and then just reading research, how they say healthy lifestyle, daily exercise can all kind of help with um, preventing recurrence. And so I joined the gym again and met a couple of girls um, that were runners and started running with them. Um, and yeah, I've done some crazy running things that I never thought I would do. Um, marathons and try I did a triathlon for the first time ever. Um, so yeah, and I think just exercise, I can just like focus during that time on me, um, any stress, anything that I'm going through, I can just kind of put to the side and just focus on that exercise. And, and so it's been really helpful, just not only living a healthy lifestyle, but um, you know, helping with anxiety and things like that. It's just, yeah, if I don't exercise every day, I'm kind of a beast. <laughs> yeah, the anxiety is real. Do other of you suffer from anxiety as well? I'm seeing some heads nod. Yeah, I, I think we all do. It's, you know, very common after a breast cancer diagnosis to be more anxious. It's correlated also with higher levels of depression and just the aftermath of everything and the trauma that we've been through. I think exercise is an excellent way to combat some of those side effects. And whether it's like getting the punching bag out or running or sprinting or lifting weights, I think it's an amazing opportunity to to let off steam. And it has shown that exercise can also prevent um, recurrence in some situations as well as um, if you are metastatic, it could also help with um, decreasing progression as well. So there's a lot of benefits. That kind of leads me to some other questions. Does anyone else have any other like workout tips of what has helped them through cancer? I know when shortly after I was diagnosed, it was really hard for me in terms of mobility to be able to do a push-up again, to use my upper body. Have, have any of you experienced, like what was that trial like from surgery to getting back to where exercise was part of your day to day? For my, for myself, the only exercise that I do right now is, is hiking. Mm. Um, I had really bad lymphedema and uh, neuropathy after my surgery. So to be able to hold anything in my hand or any weights or anything, it was just too hard for me. Uh, finding or doing hiking is actually was very therapeutic for anxiety and just to get that exercise in. Um, it's definitely one of my favorite things to do. It's, you know, outside. Yeah. How did you find out you had lymphedema? The lymph node removal uh, from the lymphedema. We put a sleeve on and I had to wear that, but then it, it just, it wasn't helping. And on top mm -hmm. of that, I also had neuropathy in my hands and my feet. So um, they started me on gabapentin for the neuropathy. It, it really didn't do much. Then I started physical therapy. I did physical therapy twice a week just so that I was able to, you know, hold a coffee cup without spilling it everywhere. And, you know, being able to brush my teeth without having issues of holding the toothbrush because I couldn't feel it in my hands. Um, it's actually, today's one of the days where it's it's hurting, but it's it's gotten better. It's definitely gotten better. Remove as well under my armpits and on the upper part of my chest. And I developed axillary web syndrome, which I never knew what that was. And so um, I was experienced that I could hardly lift my arms. And then I noticed I like hoarding in, inside my um, armpit and in my arms. Um, 
all developing, which it was not allowing me to have that strength. And uh, so that was literally, it happened. I felt it right away, like probably a week after my surgery. And um, as I wasn't unable to do the exercises that, that they wanted me to do, I spoke with my general surgeon and I started to see a um, physical therapist um, twice a week and then once a week. Um, and that definitely helped me because um, I, I just, I could not, I, I like, I'm staying busy. I like to stay busy and I like working out and I just knew that I could not just stay stuck like that. So I eventually started to strengthen that upper part of my body and um, eventually I was able to do pull-ups that I didn't even think I would be able to do. Um, strengthen that and um, I have gone to the physical therapist and they're like, they're in shock because they're like, wow, like when you came here, you could hardly move your arm and now you have nothing. Like it looks like nothing ever happened to you. So I just believe that working out definitely um, helps that. So after I started working out, um, I hired a personal trainer and he did a lot of research ahead of time about like um, what women, you know, limitations and things after a mastectomy. Um, and so he was really helpful in, you know, kind of helping me start slow because just kind of gone all in. Um, and he kind of slowed me down a little bit and made sure I was doing things correctly and safely. Um, so that really helped. Slowing ourselves, slowing ourselves down and remembering that it's a process that for us to regain strength from what we had prior to surgery, it's hard because you just want to jump right back in and go, okay, I want to get back to where I was, but we have to listen to our bodies and, and know like, okay, you have to take it slow because we're not where we used to be. I sort of shut down afterwards and I, and um, unfortunately because of that, you know, I had a lot more pain and I had to go through a lot more, but it wasn't until I could actually get to a place where I could tell myself mentally that this is okay. This is what I need to do. And I sort of aligned, I had like this agreement with my body at one point where I'm like, okay, this is where you're at. You need to go ahead and move on. But it took me a lot longer than I anticipated. Um, and it, and then once I find a little bit more empowerment, I guess, mentally, I was able to ask the right questions and then get to a place of doing physical therapy and wanting to do physical therapy. I don't know why it took me so long to get to that place to develop these habits um, and kind of empower myself physically. But it was a mental um, a mental challenge for me more than anything. And um, I would say it took a good three to four months that I even wanted to just recognize that I had gone through surgery, that I recognized that I had to have, you know, my breast partially removed. I mean, it just took a lot. Um, and the last thing I wanted to do was to work out or to stretch. Um, and then even, in, I, I guess, a year afterwards, I still battled it. But I knew that if I began creating habits to um, to make this sort of partnership between my body and my mind, I would finally get to a place of healing. But it took so much longer. As I look back, I'm like, wow, everyone goes through this so differently. And I was so, it was so interesting that I fought it so hard. Working out is my therapy. So that was just really did help, like with my mental and also my physical, keeping busy as far as taking my kids to school, taking my son to speech therapy, that has also basically just kind of um, kept me busy. 
So just life in general just kept me busy. And I was kind of just always go, go, go. Yeah. And then as far as like with the whole COVID and you know how like the gyms at my location is closed again. So I had to find other ways to do it. So I do in-home exercise. But what the big thing too, besides exercise is my faith in God. So when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, my sister-in-law, Melissa, she said to me, you know, God can move mountains. And, you know, during that time, I'm just like, okay, but I have so many stuff already on my plate. You know, a son with autism. My father just recently passed away. Um, breast cancer. You know, it's just so many things. And then, but as I went through my journey, I learned to trust in him. Like if I feel like my anxiety is killing me for whatever reason, as far as just like, oh my God, what is this pain that I'm feeling? Oh my God, like next week will be the day that I was diagnosed two years ago. You know, I I go to God, either whether it's to church or I pray at home and I ask him for guidance and strength, you know, and to be honest, for me, I feel at peace after. You know, I've always been a somewhat spiritual person and I have, um, you know, my belief systems that I've that I've um, maintained throughout my life, but nothing has ever brought me down to my knees um, than this experience. I um, I thought that I wasn't going to be there for my children. And that was one of the most challenging things I've ever had to mentally and physically go through in my life. And, you know, honestly, the thing that brought me closer to my relationship with my children and my husband and just myself was focusing on that higher power and understanding that, um, you know, I am not in control and I never was in control. And that helped me so much as I moved forward in my healing. And my, my faith has been everything for me because I've been able to find out what my purpose is during this time as well. And it helped me find a, a balance between my fear and my purpose. And um, that has been a, a balance that I've been trying to just continue to model for my children and to practice on a daily basis. I never questioned why me. I was just, okay, this is what it is. Whatever my purpose is, it's gonna come from this. And, you know, to have to go through it twice uh, in a year is it was, was difficult, but not one time did I ever question my purpose. God around me, just the village that we built for me, everything. I just, faith has definitely been the strongest part of this whole journey. And it was even before, before I got diagnosed, my relationship with God was at its all time high. And I believe that that's the only reason why I was able to handle going through this the way that I was, the way that I did and the way that I am. And at the end of the day, I will always give all glory to God because it's my strength. It's what gets me to go for my two to three mile hike, you know, every day. It's, you know, what's built and fixed many relationships, watching them, watching me go through what I've gone through. And at the end of the day, honestly, it's just all glory to God. Yes, it's beautiful to realize 
that there is, whether it's God or a larger source, larger than ourselves, that has a plan. And you know, I think for me, I was in, I was utilizing a lot of techniques around med- meditation and visualization, which I think can also be related to to faith in regards of okay, I can visualize the cancer. I can visualize the cancer tumor getting smaller because of the chemotherapy that I'm on. I can visualize it leaving my body after the surgery. And I think a lot of that, just putting it out there in the universe, knowing that there's a mindset around positivity and trust and faith that really plays a role in our healing. And I hear a lot, and it's so inspiring to hear these stories of when there is that level of, acknowledgement that there's a bit someone bigger than us who is out there with a plan that we're just here to to execute that plan whether it is starting a nonprofit starting a community on social media starting writing a book going out and speaking we really are given this opportunity to be a voice and raise awareness like we are all doing right now tonight on this call which I love so thank you for sharing Cecilia, I'd love to have you follow up on that so our viewers and listeners know you mentioned that you had breast cancer twice. Can you tell us a little bit more about your diagnosis and how you discovered the recurrence? About four months after my first diagnosis, um, after having surgery, going through chemo and radiation, um, I seen my oncologist and I had asked him if he would send me for a mammogram, my mammogram, CT scan, and my MRI. And he said it wasn't necessary. It was too soon that I would be on every six months. Um, But I asked him, I said, you know, I really want to get it done. Thankfully, he listens to me because he said, if my patients ask for it, I do it because I need them to have clarity and I don't want them to continue thinking about things. Uh, So he sent me and sure enough, I found out that I had cancer on my left breast. If you feel something or know something isn't just right, advocate for yourself. Ask and ask and ask until you find a doctor who will order those scans because you just never know. Thank you so much for sharing this experience with our community. In addition to faith, there's also a lot of other people in our lives that can be a support mechanism for us, uh, whether it's husbands or friends or new friends that we meet on social media. Jill, who's been your rock in your life as you were going through treatment and even now a couple years out from your diagnosis? Right. Um, I would say first my husband. He puts up with a lot of stuff. Um, they all do. Easiest, <laughs> um, right? Probably not the easiest. I'm one of those people that I'm very I internalize a lot. And then I, I feel that I, I can do this on my own. I'm strong. I don't need any help. Um, so I think we fought, not fought, but like, I think we battled that a little bit because I think, you know, I kind of just wanted to do it myself and he wanted to help. Um, and now I'm on hormone blockers. And so my emotions and just moods are all over the place. And so he's still stuck with me and he has um, still deals with a lot of me from time to time. So I think that's, um, he'd probably be um, my biggest support. Um, but then like Laura, you and, and Nicole and our, you know, text message chain that we have, like, I think support, like I wasn't ready for after cancer, like during cancer, you know, people were supportive and they'd, you know, check in on me and message me once in a while. And then treatment is over and it like, everything goes away. Um, everybody just thinks you're cured. You're fine. You don't need as yeah. much support as you needed. 
Um, so I still struggle with that to this day. Um, but I think just the cancer community in general and, and the guac girls and Laura, you and Nicole, like, I think having you as support and not just right now, but like forever, like we are forever sisters. Um, and so I'm very appreciative to that too. Switching gears, I would love to ask you, there's a couple of you on today's podcast who have actually refused either tamoxifen, aromatase inhibitors, or even receiving radiation. I'd love to hear your perspective on how you came to that decision. I have to be honest, I did some research and I did take tamoxifen for about four to five days. Um, and I right away knew that it wasn't for me. And I have to say that not only did I, I, I suffered um, consequences, you know, like the, the side effects more, I think the normal mycologist would have to agree with me on that. Um, just mentally, I was not in a good place and it was, um, it was not a good fit. And, you know, she recommended different um, hormone blockers, but intuitively, I just couldn't shake it off. And I know it's not the scientific thing to say. And I know that it's not, you know, always approved by your oncologist or your medical professional, but I have to say that that gave me more peace than taking it. And everyone has their, you know, specific journey and the reasons behind it. But I spoke with my support group. I spoke with my family and I, and I had to make this decision for myself mm -hmm. and it, it gave me more peace than actually taking it. Um, and I am, you know, five years after, um, five years is a huge milestone and it was a number that was in the back of my mind for the longest time like I just need to make it to or when I get here and I'm here and I look back and I and I, I I'm in I'm just so thankful that I'm here and I praise God that I'm here and, and I'm just thankful that I've been able to get were a lot of things that I never thought I would, including the anxiety about tamoxifen, including the anxiety about just the overall habits that I've, you know, had before cancer and, and just the PTSD of everything altogether. But and anyways, um, I felt more peace saying no to that. I declined radiation as well. I didn't want to, uh, I don't know, I just felt like I already gave my all with chemo and I really just wanted my body to rest from everything. Um, so after declining radiation, they asked me, so are you going to do the hormone therapy? And I said, I'm not. And um, they probably didn't agree with me, you know, because that's what an oncologist is supposed to do. It's supposed to encourage you to take these because of the percentage of survivorship and cancer not coming back. But right. I personally just did not feel at peace taking it, um, especially with all the side effects that were going to be there. And, you know, there's that percentage that it may not work. So huh? it then gives you all these other health issues that I just, it just did not make sense to me. And I thought about it and months passed by and then I said, you know, I'm going to give it a try. Well that the office that was supposed to contact me didn't contact me until a month and a half later and it gave me enough time to think about it again right. and I said I don't want it <laughs> and um and and I just like I just feel good right now where I'm in and I just feel like it has a lot to do with what you do as well mentally physically mm -hmm. and 
that's what matters the most. It's not about someone forcing you to take this because it's going to help or not. Like, we all react different because everything. And what might work for that person may not work for me. And I personally feel like I'm at peace, just like Tiny said, that I'm not taking that medication. And I feel like um, it sounds bad, but you hear this a lot of the times where you say, I prefer quality over quantity got diagnosed in October. So to go through all of the side effects after chemo and radiation, tamoxifen, and then to get diagnosed again, and then for them to take, you know, I'm off of it now because I'm doing radiation and that's just too much side effects together. Um, but now he wants to change my treatment to Lupron after, which is going to increase the menopause. It's going to increase the bone aches. It's going to increase everything else that I've already been dealing with for the last few months. And, and I told my oncologist, I mean, really, what's the point of me taking it? And he said to me, what do you mean that you should take? I took it for three months and I got diagnosed again. Explain to me why I need to suffer every single day on this medication if I was on it and I still got diagnosed. So he told me to think about it, to think about it for the next few weeks because after I'm done with the radiation, he wants to change that. And it is a decision that I have to think about, you know, it, it do I want to suffer more after all of this? Yeah, there's perspective for sure. And yeah, I think there's so many ways to, to get support. And, you know, I look back at what Heidi was saying, like if in the morning you wake up and you're happy with your decision down in your heart and your gut. And I think as women, our superpower is our intuition that we know and we can feel in our gut that we're making the right decision. Cecilia, I empathize with, with everything that you're saying because we are trying to do everything right. And we're following the book. We're following that roadmap. We're taking all of this toxic treatment so that we don't have a recurrence. And then to still have a recurrence is like maddening. And so I I share all the time with um, people in our community, I was a strict vegan before I got diagnosed with breast cancer. And similarly, it was like, I haven't had meat since I was 16 years old. I went from vegetarian to vegan, no processed foods, worked out. And how did I still get cancer without a genetic or family history? And so I was pissed, right? Like you could only imagine my boyfriend was like, we're going out for steak. Like what, what, like this can't be possible, you know? And I think, um, you know, maybe even a topic for a follow-up blog or podcast is like talking about that, that mental shift of, you know, maybe it is praying more or meditating on it or just figuring out, you know, we are trying to do everything right, but what happened? Why is our body responding this way? So I would love to dig deeper into that maybe as like a follow-up topic because I don't think we're the only ones out there who feel like we're doing everything right and then something still gets, we get hit by a truck all over again. What does it mean to thrive after cancer? You don't have, that cancer doesn't define you. Um, yeah. That even though it's in the back of our heads, it can be constant whenever, but you don't let cancer basically run your life not just existing after the fact but really living this life and now i get to choose very strongly like who i get to do this with 
I get to choose a kind of, you know, positivity and the mindset and I get to um, glean from others as they go along their journey. And it's so much more fun together than alone. Like I am so much better with with these, you know, amazing sisters than I would be by myself. And so to me, that is the definition of how we really thrive. We don't thrive on our own. We thrive together. Thank you all so much for being panelists on Breast Cancer Conversations today. This conversation was so rich and we covered so many topics, the trials and tribulations, the fears, the love, the inspiration. I will link to all of your Instagram handles in the show notes below so our listeners can find you. And until next time, keep on thriving. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our organization and upcoming events and ways to connect, you can find out more by visiting our website at survivingbreastcancer.org. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast is from personal experiences, and it is not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always consult your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, feel free to contact me directly at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. And of course, we have a couple social media handles you can follow us at as well. For example, Surviving Breast Cancer Org, all one word, as well as our podcast specifically, Breast Cancer Conversations. Until next time, keep on thriving.